The Debatable Podcast is available at debatablepodcast.tumblr.com and iTunes. On Twitter, we are DebatablePod, and I am Mr. Greggles, M-I-S-T-R-G-R-E-G-G-L-E-S. I also have another podcast called All the Pieces Matter that I co-host with Fernando Madrigal. All the Pieces Matter is a retrospective podcast on HBO's The Wire. We are located on iTunes as well and wirepod.tumblr.com. On Twitter, we are wire underscore podcast and both the debatable podcast and all the pieces matter are available on actionagogo.com. So go check out those sites, give us feedback, send us questions and comments, and enjoy today's show. I didn't hear you say shit. Get it together, man. I was just typing up a review for a movie I wrote while I was waiting for you. This is ridiculous. You're ridiculous. This is kind of shit show are you running? No, what kind of shit show are you running? (laughs) No, really, what kind of shit show are you running? Tell me. So you're good. What what movie review are you writing up? No, it was my note basically my paragraph notes to self about JD's revenge. Which is what? That sounds familiar. It's a black exploitation movie slash Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde slash gangster film. From the from the era, from the seventies, I'm guessing. Seventy six. Wow, there you go. It's pretty fantastic. Is it? <laughs> Lou Gossett. Oh, the man. Lou Gossett and uh Glenn Turman. Awesome. Glenn Turman gets to act like a 1940s lunatic gangster in the 70s. This came out after uh, Cooley High, though. Cooley High was 72? Mm, I was going to say 73, but yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, something like that. Okay, cool. Okie dokie. Well, as uh, amazing as that sounds, and... We're not going to talk about Shady's Revenge? We're not going to be talking about that, not going to be talking about Cocaine Noir... We're not going to be talking about James Bond, that's for sure. Okay with that. <laughs> Your day job, you ready to kind of leave that alone for a little bit? Yeah, I'm supposed to record a podcast this weekend, too. I was, I was coming up with ways not to talk about Bond, but still talk about Bond. <laughs> how uh, How is that going? I mean, now it's been it's been a few years now, right? Yeah, we're approaching four. Holy shit. Uh, later this year. 
for those who, who don't know the bondage pod and uh and the bondage uh social media project is what you're known for in a lot of circles not just you know not just known for that but in a lot of I'm, circles. I'm the bondage guy <laughs> says it on your card right you're a bondage yeah guy. Mm-hmm. um so the the special thing though the thing that we kind of you know talked about doing for this episode um you had a very interesting unique experience i think um that not a lot of people uh if they do know about it they don't know about it firsthand and uh we're talking about the turner classic movies uh film festival yes and uh it's in los angeles right every year indeed and uh how many years have they been doing this that was year seven Holy shit! I didn't know it was going on that long. Seven, wow. Yep, seven, seven years. I've been to two now. That's amazing. You went last year and this year. Yes. Right on. It's and a bug. Once you go, it's hard to stop. I imagine. And for those who who don't know, Turner Classic Movies is kind of you know the cornerstone of of you know it's self explanatory of classic movies uh, right now. If if you're looking for a uh, uh, TV uh, network extension of of Criterion or or um, you know a classic uh, a film uh, academic uh, approach to uh, to film and cinema. Um, often the only place you can find these movies, if not uh, a an avid Blu-ray and DVD collector like uh, like Jay is, um, with many movies on his shelf to be watched, um, is to check uh, them out on just, TCM. Just right? pick that scab. Just just pick just, just pick the unwatched pile scab. Every time. I still yeah. haven't gotten an accurate number of how many are. are you're not unwatched. going to. You're not going to. I gave you like the dimensions of the pile. I stopped short of weighing it for you. It's a lot of plastic, is all I'm hearing. Um, and, and it was paid for with a lot of plastic too. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's yeah, the part we don't. That's the part we really don't talk about. <laughs> But really, TCM is is the place to find a lot of movies. Some movies that are not even on uh, um, home video, except maybe you know. Well, it's, uh, it's a remarkable VHS. entity that, that 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 we have a channel right. that shows classic movies. I mean, uh, from from all eras, mm-hmm. twenty four hours a day, right? With no commercials. That's the best part, absolutely. Because I mean, like people think of AMC. There was a time period that AMC was, was like period. TCM, but it's it's not so much anymore. You know, there's a there's a niche audience for these things. There always has been. You know, for for the most part, it used to be uh, uh, these were the movies that uh, filmmakers or a particular generation grew up with, and now we're so many generations removed from that that it's even more of a cult kind of niche following. But you you can definitely find that community on uh, on Twitter and on the internet. I'm sure there are message boards and and uh, websites devoted to uh to classic movies film noir um musicals from the 30s so on and so forth down the line everything that hollywood put out before it unceremoniously uh kind of fell apart in the uh late 60s early 70s but um 
you know, I, I know a lot about your tastes, and, and you're all over the place like I am as far as uh, your interests, and, and it runs the gamut. You, I think that you do have some some specialties, but I'm sure that you uh, have things that, that run the gamut from, you know, I'm sure from many different types of genre fare, and uh, just talking to you about it, I, I know that uh, that you really do support a lot of what uh, Warner Archive does, and, and uh, all of these kind of niche places that are sometimes the only places you can find these classic movies. Yeah, it's, I, I believe a good movie is a good movie no matter when it came out. I know a lot of people, I've met a lot of people that uh, have odd proclivities when it comes to what they watch, but uh, there, there's there's nothing that I, I wouldn't sample or, or try and I'm, a, I'm an appreciator of, of just about all styles and genres of film though um, uh, there, there are a few that I, I shy away from I, I i'm not a big melodrama fan sure uh, if i had to pick one out that that i wouldn't automatically watch if somebody said well, hey this is a this is a great douglas sirk movie you've never right. seen i'm like well let's let's slow down a little bit <laughs> um i i've seen my share so tell me more uh that's the that's kind of where uh, there are um, certain walls for me too. I think melodrama has been something that I've had real trouble getting into and you know I remember uh, a few years ago seeing an episode of uh, Elvis Mitchell's show where he was interviewing Tarantino about Douglas Sirk and how much Tarantino loves Douglas Sirk and I was like you know what I'm finally going to take the the plunge and I think I fell asleep during the (laughs) the one movie that I I watched it might have been can't remember what it was but um yeah this there's certain like there's i think that what's important is that it kind of tells a lot about the type of cinephile you are not to shit on anybody who's like a genre uh cinephile or someone who who likes more recent movies though i guess you could shit on those people but you know people (laughs) people that have their proclivities to to film noir or or um uh horror movies uh they only like a particular type of uh horror movie whatever you know subgenres within genres you know speaking of the horror that that horror movie collector facebook sub forum Uh uh-huh is unreal. Like, it is. I I do not participate, but I just enjoy the just the insanity of like these people post stacks of like twenty horror movies that they yeah. picked up in one trip to Big Lots. I'm like, yeah. there really there's not that many to watch. Like, right. when do you? And I'm looking at the stack. I'm like, you have got to be hardcore. And like, I I applaud you, but that is like those are like 19 movies I just would not watch. Right. If it's not really esoteric stuff, it's really like bad. Like uh, we're we're talking about Z grade straight. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all in for oddball stuff. Like right. you want to find something rare and unusual that that just looks like it's interesting. But you know they. If it, if it looks like somebody gets stabbed in it, they're like that's right. That's good. I want that one. Right. It's a thing about genres too. I mean, like, I think that I get accused uh, by by close friends of mine as, as just being so much into anything that's that's a, a crime story of some sort. That you know, if it if it fulfills you know three of the check marks, then I'm gonna watch it. And whether it's uh, it's good or or downright terrible, uh, I'm gonna uh, you know suss out something to enjoy about it. I think that's a lot of the horror uh, uh, super freaks that I know. We were also um, friends. On uh, on another Facebook group for the for the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema, and I mean you get 
you you run the gamut there too. You get people that are into genre movies and and uh, really cult stuff and all over the place there too. Yeah, it's all over the place. So yeah. I, I I get beyond that. That's the stuff that you that you dig on a little more. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, besides that, so we we are talking about the, the TCM uh, uh, film festival, and and it's kind of it is a very niche thing. But uh, so you know, what what draws you to something like this? I think that we kind of we got to the heart of it. But uh, like, let's say last year when you went for the first time, what made you want to go? Everybody talking about it on Twitter. You know, the, you're, you're friends with these people. You follow them on Twitter, um, and they start all at once. There's this massive posting session of pictures of Hollywood Boulevard and the Walk of Fame and people they meet and all the Twitter friends they come in contact with and uh, the talks given by the stars of these films. And you're like, well, I want to be there. I want to do that. I want to do that stuff. Right. Like, why, why am I not doing that stuff? Right. And I, I watched it for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, kind of offhand, I mentioned it to my wife, like not thinking anything of it, more like, hey, you know, this is this awesome thing that takes place. And what was me? I'm not going. Mm-hmm. And that year, she surprised me with pass for Christmas. Oh, that's awesome. Did she go with awesome. you? No, no. She sent. Uh, I, I went with her, my father-in-law. Actually, he's a uh, big movie fan. So nice. I, I met him in L.A. and we went to the festival together. We, we he went again this year, uh, and uh, he said he's going again next year. So fantastic! It's, it's so you fun. actually, I, I thought that you went on on this uh, uh, solo, but you actually went with someone. That's fantastic. It is, and and you know, you go with somebody and you you make up your schedule. There's so much available at any given time during this festival which is the the main attraction is that you can go uh with so any given person and have entirely different experiences just mm-hmm. based on the way that you approach the festival and what your interests are and 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 which stars you want to follow around and and there's just there, there's such a breadth of content that spans all genres and interests and you've got movies you've got silent movies being screened with with DJs and this year they did um, Passion of Joan of Arc with a with a, a choral performance and wow. uh, then you go all the way up to they do more modern stuff um, they showed um, Boys in the Hood John Singleton was there wow so I mean it runs the history of film that's really interesting to me too, because like we we kind of uh, uh, glossed over that. But TCM is not just classic movies too. They they definitely do uh, step in a little more contemporary, but it's usually a little more esoteric or cult stuff that they end up showing. I remember they seeing do. Possession it's, a couple months ago. It's a um, it's kind of a hot topic right now. You go to the festival, and there's always somebody. The, in the get-togethers, there's always a session where the TCM folks come and have a panel, and you can ask some questions. And and the past two years, the topic of what constitutes a classic movie has come mm-hmm. up. Everybody wants to talk about what the barrier is, like where do you draw the line in the movies you show? Right. I mean, their answer, which I fully support, is that as time goes on, so does our definition of what's classic. It has endured long enough that it has made an impact on, mm-hmm. on the film community. And, and um, so they last year, the hot button topic was um, out of sight was shown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that rubbed people the wrong way. 
a wow. movie from the nineties being okay. shown at the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival. Right. Um, and I, I see their point because what they're saying is that Out of Sight is a movie that most of us could have seen in our lifetimes. Yeah. Uh, I probably, I mean, I saw it like three times in the theater. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, point is that it's removing a spot for something else. That that's their claim. Right. Well, I mean, considering who you are and and knowing you, I'm sure being a uh, very open-minded person about the things that you'll accept in or at least give a chance to, um, I imagine that you stand in a in a firm place about kind of Criterion's uh, 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 releasing of Michael Bay films as classic and contemporary movies that are important to cinema. I'm guessing that you're okay with that or not i'm okay with, i'm okay with it you know it uh i, I don't you know i i'm thinking specific armageddon and that i i enjoyed that movie but by no means would i consider it a classic right. i do understand its place and right. you know that that kind that 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 blockbuster bigger than life film has a definite place and i think time will actually be kinder to it than contemporary critics i think that it's one of those movies that w- will be uh, rediscovered somewhat for just kind of being a fun movie without mm-hmm. expectation. It, it be, we, it's so cyclical. We, we were able to get the, the, the audiences that rediscover movies are able to go beyond uh, what was initially the initial critical slate. And like, who knows, maybe even Avatar can be redeemed in time. <laughs> I, I don't think so. But like that, I mean, that, that's the point is that when new generations discover these films, they look at them totally different. It's a hardcore thing about uh, the, the definition of classic because, I mean, certainly you're right about like film buffs and, 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 and cinephiles on Twitter being very distinct about even their hatred of a label like Criterion or Arrow or something, putting out a movie that doesn't really fit into that category of, you know, Grand Illusion or, you know, a Kurosawa movie or anything like that. So anything that's kind of in your lifetime, too. I mean, it's hard to define something as classic, though, I mean, we could talk about a movie like Memento or uh, um, uh, There Will Be Blood or No Country for Old Men or any movie in 2007 for that matter but i mean like there there are movies that you that people kind of use kind of like slang type all oh, that's classic uh but they kind of don't really think that you know it should be talked about in the same breath as a kurosawa movie or something like that right so i mean the the argument is a lot of them have hard hard fast dates in their heads right. so like 1969 is a cutoff for a lot of people right um but the I mean, like I said, that always comes up as, you know, and, and the, the, like I said, TCM has all the right answers. Um, they, they, this is not something they take lightly. Uh, they, they, they do, I mean, naturally the, the number of films that they show on the channel increases as time goes on too. They've shown more 80s, uh, 70s, 80s movies recently than I, I've seen. Um, but that's also because, you know, we, their catalog expands as well. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, when, when they originally bought the the catalog, was it 20 years ago mm-hmm. now? Right. It, it was a limited number of films that they were able to, now that they're, they're the, the catalog has grown and they're able to acquire more of these films more cheaply, they're going to show more 70s and more 80s. And that's just the, I mean, time marches on, you know, so do the movies. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I as I said, the the experiences you can have are so different. Um, that I mean, you could you could probably create a catalog. I mean, a, a, a film festival schedule 
and see nothing but movies made before 1940. Right, right. Or go through the whole thing and never see a movie made before 1950. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, no, no two people will have the same experience. Well, you never miss a chance to DVR Watership Down, correct? <laughs> Watership Down? <laughs> what, what, what am I now, missing? Now Voyager is... is, is now Voyager, yeah. Because I feel like it's on every other day. Yeah, it, it is often. Um, so here's my here's my thing. So I, I know that you've been to quite a few film festivals, and, and I want to talk about how this compares and contrasts to a regular film festival because uh, there's a couple different ways you could approach this. I mean, there's the you know there, there's the the Austin film festivals, there's um, the film festivals that we're aware of in the Northeast and everything, and I've been to my fair share too. But does it ever fall over into um, uh, let me finish the thought before you laugh. Uh, like an anime convention, do you have any cosplayers? Anybody dressing classically? Do you have <laughs> there any are. of these people that show up? Yeah, you know, like there that? there are there are people who get dressed up for the film festival. Uh-huh. I mean, there are people who just uh, who, who dress up more than like your average everyday. But, right. Um, but then there are people who wear vintage clothing. But I mean, that's their thing. I met I met a woman who briefly, very briefly, uh, who specializes in buying and restoring and selling vintage clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's just, that's her everyday thing. And it falls in line with you like classic movies, you like classic things like this is, this is sort of an extension of your personality. Right. Um, but uh, it, it's not, we're, we're, we're by no means bordering on some sort of brony convention. Which I wish it would. <laughs> I wish it would for a second. I mean that, <laughs> Just, just to just to walk through, just to walk through it. I wouldn't want to stop, but I would just <laughs> once just walk right through, take it all in, and I'd be good. <laughs> How encapsulated is it? So, um, I know that there are particular fe- festivals that take place at only one theater. You know, um, the one over here in, in Maryland, uh, uh, outside of Baltimore, uh, they often do like two theaters, which are in like ten miles of each other. But um, how encapsulated is the festival? This is pretty much two blocks. Okay. There's a um, there's a multiplex that ha- that has three screens used for the festival, the Egyptian Theater and the TCL Chinese Theater mm-hmm. were the venues this year. In the pa- last year and in the past, the El Capitan has been used as well, and all these theaters are within two blocks on Hollywood Boulevard. They also do live interviews and conversations with the stars at the Montalban Theater, which is further away. Uh, I, I haven't been to, I have never been to that venue, so I don't know exactly how far away. I know that people, uh, when they're going there, plan extra, extra time to get down there. They also let you know that there's a subway stop available should you want to hop in the subway. So it's not next door. Okay. Um, this year, they also included the Cinerama Dome in the festival for the screening of Holiday in Spain. Uh, which is a Cinerama, and they did. That was the uh, Smell of Vision movie. Nice. Um, but that was that was like uh, three quarters of a mile away, or something. Does, does it like explain that to me? Do they actually have like a little card folio that you have to breathe from? Do they spray something in your mouth? So, <laughs> that's that's a different kind of theater. <laughs> the so Smell of Vision was a very short-lived technology in. Um, 60s mm-hmm. uh 1964 I'm, I'm thinking uh that was the technology was in the actual theater seats and like the the scents were piped in 
through tubes under the theater. Gotcha. Like the, the theaters were specifically built to include smell-o-vision. Gotcha. Smell-o-vision failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it lasted more than a year. Um, John Waters used smell-o-vision as inspiration for <laughs> what was his gimmick? I'm, I'm blanking on the name of his his smell gimmick that he used. Oh, I forget it. Yeah. Anyway, so he used that as like the basis for what he did in the right. 70s later. Um, so that, at, is, at the is, festival... Is, isn't it failing now? Like, isn't there that? What is that? Uh, it's like extra senses uh, in the seat. You know, what is it called? Like 4D or something. 4D like that? or something. Yeah. I only heard about that recently with the Avengers movie. That's, right. That's ridiculous. Right. That that should be reserved for 15 minute like <laughs> events at Disney World. That is not. I do not want to be punched and kicked for for two and a half hours or whatever those Avengers movies are. Well, wait till Captain EO comes back and you'll be uh, good. Oh, I would see. I would see that. So. We did so. Scent of Mystery was uh, it's it stars Denholm Elliott and Peter Lorre, mm. um, and um, it was filmed in it was it was shown in Cinerama, which I I uh, I didn't understand going in. We had a, we had a presentation beforehand about what what Cinerama was and about the smell of vision technology. So Cinerama it was shot uh, was shot projected from two projectors at the same time, which is why it was very expensive. Right. Um, to create that super wide aspect ratio right. curve theater. Um, so the original smell of vision I said was piped into the seats to recreate smell of vision for our experience. We were all given small spray bottles in our seats <laughs> with that were numbered. And when we're supposed to spray that smell, the number would pop up on the screen and the people <laughs> with that number would squirt, squirt, squirt in the air. And we had fans to, to wave it about and distribute it to the, to the audience. Wow! It was it was fantastic. It, <laughs> it was, was fantastic. It was, my, it was fantastic. It was my favorite event. the The crowd participation was was it, it was a joy. Like everybody had so much fun squirting these little vials of things. And the smells they're not bad. There's only one that was was a little bit repugnant. The garlic was very strong. <laughs> so like you. You you start on the movie and there you know, there's rose roses scent rose scented and there's other flowers there was the pipe smoke was a very crucial scent in the film uh, the perfume of the woman that he's following is very important it that's that's what the crucial turning point is when he realizes that the woman he's following isn't wearing the same perfume mm-hmm. uh, so you know and I walked away smelling of I had I had the I had the perfume scent for the mystery woman and I reeked of it and the woman next to me had the pipe smoke smell so I was a combination of pipe smoke and this very flowery perfume and like 4 hours later somebody was standing next to me in line and kind of smelling me and like oh I was I was at smell vision earlier. Sorry, it's still. She's like, she, she couldn't believe that I was still. I was still wafting. It loses a little bit. Of, okay, so as I understand it, you didn't have like uh, several spray bottles. You only had one. If you didn't have somebody sitting next to you immediately, you were going. You needed to use double duty because they wanted okay. to make sure every section got right. The the appropriate smells. Does so it, I had I had I had the mystery perfume and then I had some flower. Gotcha. But doesn't that, I'm guessing that that's the best analog that we can get now, but it, it takes a little uh, something away from the gimmick, because I mean, if you were originally in the theater in the 60s when they did this, you it would be piped into the theater, you wouldn't know it's what to expect. piped into the seat, it's coming right out of your seat. Right, right, right. Um, it, 
it did and it didn't. Uh, it's recreating the best that they can with right. what's available to us without, you know, constructing an entirely brand new theater <laughs> for one event, which seems a little bit absurd. Howard Hughes would have done the, it. <sighs> that's true. <laughs> the participatory element of the presentation really kind of made it special. For those who maybe aren't, don't have like a, a film history reference, um, I'm guessing that this was Cinerama, definitely, but I'm guessing that this too, this, you know, sense around type of thing, uh, was also part of that move to try to compete with television. Oh yeah. That, very I mean, popular. They just kept going wider until right. it became too cumbersome to manage and it was too expensive. So it was this big event thing that you could go out to and, uh, the, uh, the smell of vision thing I'm sure is just to add to kind of like cherry on top, give you a, a, more of a reason to go out to the movies. So let's talk a little bit about the programming. Um, I'm guessing like a lot of film festivals, there are things that you're just not going to be able to get to see, right? You had to kind of make a list of what you definitely wanted to attend. Oh yeah, the the schedule comes out a couple weeks beforehand, and it, it's it's a furious study session to figure out exactly how where you're going, what's mm-hmm. what's your must see event. There's at any given time, there's at, at least three or four different things you could be doing. Right. Uh, so you're looking at this, and you know there's. They were everybody looks to a couple times during the festival. We're like, well, how in the world am I ever supposed to pick what to do? You right. know, there. Uh, I'm trying to think. It was Saturday night of the festival, so this festival went Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and um, is it Saturday night? Oh, so Saturday night was. Let's see if I can remember this correctly. Oh, yeah, Friday night. Friday night was Manchurian Candidate with Angela Lansbury, mm-hmm. interviewed by Alec Baldwin beforehand. Wow. And that was at the Chinese Theater. So, Grauman's Chinese Theater. I mean, the, the yeah. probably the most famous theater in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was a, um, oh, let's see what the, oh, Carry On Up the Kyber, which I really enjoy. Uh, one of the Carry On films, 1966 British comedy. Um, that was kind of a, um, say, like a Gunga Din parody or something like that. But that's kind of what, where it was at. Uh, and then my sister Eileen with Janet Eileen and Jack Lemmon, repeat performance, which is a, which is a um, noir film from 1947 that was highly re- recommended to me before going there. But, you know, the thing is, you've got Angela Lansbury over there oh, yeah. before Manchurian Candidate. And, you know, well, all these... I would see all these movies at any given time. Like any, if nothing else is happening, I would love to see all of them. Oh yeah, but they're they're on at the same time. That's those are, you know, four <laughs> four things. Um, there there are some other times where you're looking at this. It's like I don't know what to do. You kind of end up going leaning towards movies you either haven't seen or can't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I did. I know there's people who who look at the big spectacle movies and they want to go see that. There, there's people who pretty much stick to um, the Discovery series. Each, so a lot of the the films shown there stick to certain themes. Mm-hmm. This year was um, moving films, so there was a lot of inspirational sports movies and tearjerkers. There's some melodramas, um, and then there's like Discovery series, which are lesser known films. Generally, stuff that's not available 
on home video mm-hmm. hasn't been seen. Um, I'm thinking specifically of Private Property, a 1960 movie um, starring um, Warren Oates. It was nice. his first his first um, feature. Wow. And that was thought lost. It was an independent film that didn't get picked up by a studio because it wasn't given a rating by the Motion Picture Association. So uh, I, I believe it was Fox was going to buy it, but when it didn't get the rating, they turned it down. So it wasn't preserved. They thought it was lost. They found a, a print and restored it. Cinelicious is going to release the Blu-ray wow. sometime this year. Um, but um, that movie hadn't been seen in 50 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so, like stuff like that is, it, it, you know, these these new restorations pop up. Um, companies want to promote the the pending release. Uh, it's a real opportunity to see movies that you can't find anywhere else. It's, it's it's exciting. It's exciting because, I mean, of course, we keep seeing this more and more with, uh, you know, these niche labels, Flickr Alley and, you know, Criterion every once in a while. But, uh, you know, like uh, the, the, the noir movies that are coming out, uh, what is it, the two from Flickr Alley that the, were found, uh, you know. In Too the Late for year. Tears and Woman on the Run. Right. Too Late for Tears was shown, the, was, the restoration was debuted at last year's. Gotcha. Turner Classic Movie Film Festival, and that was that was one of the favorite screenings for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there anything that you missed out on, or you you screwed up in your in your scheduling last year that you were like, "Well, this year I'm going to learn my lesson and and do it this way." Um, I I made a, a more concerted effort to identify the movies I couldn't see elsewhere. The first time. I kind of absorbed all the wisdom from everybody else that was going. Right. But you still, you don't really know how difficult the choices are until you're standing there looking at the schedule and like, well, I can't see this movie I love. Right. But, you know, I've got these other three options and, you know, you, you, you kind of, you, you have to, you know, weigh the benefits and like, if I've seen a movie in the theater, I should probably consider this other movie. Uh, it's like boot camp. You get thrown in there and it's nonstop because it starts Thursday afternoon. You watch two movies on Thursday and then for the next three days, it's basically 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. Well, let's see. Like, How much of this is stuff that you haven't seen that you're exposing yourself to the first time and how much of it, if you were going to award a percentage, is stuff that you've seen before but you want to see on the big screen? I actually broke it down this year for my recap that I posted on on the website because nice. um, I was curious myself uh, about some of the statistics about what I I didn't think about it going in. You know, you you just kind of make the choices and, and see where it lies. Right. Um, so this year I saw seventeen movies, and then there was a presentation of Vitaphone shorts, which I count as a feature. But mm-hmm. if you know, we're we're counting tallies there. And people say, you can't count that one. That was a presentation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so 17 feature-length films I saw in the four days of the festival. And nine of them were first-time watches that I've never seen before. Wow, that's pretty good. And one of them was a movie I, I'd seen but didn't recall at all, probably because I saw it during film school and probably because I fell asleep <laughs> through part of it. <laughs> Did you? Were you attracted to be going into uh, to movies that had... Uh, presentations or interviews did you go to the manchurian candidate i did i went uh because you you shouldn't miss an opportunity to see angela lansbury sure i um 
I did prioritize seeing some of the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not get to see Gina Lola Brigida, who I would have liked to have seen. That was probably my regret for the festival, was not finding time to see her before a film or one of her conversations. But uh, I successfully stalked Elliot Gould for about six hours. Nice. Because I went to his talk with Alec Baldwin that was in Club TCM, which is the lounge area in the Roosevelt Hotel, which is kind of the epicenter for the festival. So that was an hour and something talk with Alec Baldwin, which is like metaphysical acting shit that I, I can <laughs> like barely registers. People ask me like later that night even what they talked about and like, Mm, uh, I don't. I don't know, but it was profound. <laughs> He's life, a very theoretical act. Like he. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, more so than like I'd heard stories about his conversations and like the way he talks about acting, and I've never seen him give like an unadulterated interview with another actor like that. And the two of them were getting really in depth about method and what he discovered and confidence and, and how he became, you know, Elliot Gould has a very distinctive style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so how did he get to that point and have enough confidence to be Elliot Gould? So it, it was a fascinating talk. I wish I could have replayed it for you, but unfortunately it's just kind of absorbed into the skin and I've taken it as right. a life lesson. Anyway, so like I prioritized Elliot Gould and Carl Reiner who was there. Um, nice promoting his book and he was interviewed before dead men don't wear plaid nice that's an interesting choice that's something that plays a little bit with the uh the tcm crowd too well you know it's it's a noir parody and Mm -hmm. noir is big at this crowd Uh, so there there's a guy tcm brings the czar of noir his actual name has (laughs) something that has slipped yes Mm -hmm. yes eddie so he introduces all the noirs. So he's, he's he comes up before the film, and you might think it's strange <laughs> that the czar of noir is introducing this 1980 parody of noir. But he's like, in many cases, this is more sincere noir than some of the films that came out in the 50s. So he's giving sure. this big speech and how it fits in, and uh, I mean, it's using old footage from sincere footage from these noir films. And incorporating into the new footage that was filmed with Steve Martin and uh, oh yeah, so, they're using like odds and ends from from Jack Palance movies and Vincent Price like Vincent Z-Gray. Price is in there. Yeah, I mean pretty much every major star of noir gets at least a few seconds of screen time. You know? <laughs> right, and like the the Steve Martin character has is bantering back and forth with Marlowe Bogart's in it mm-hmm. quite a bit and. Uh, you know, Stanwyck gets their time, and Bergman gets a few minutes. Like it, it's it's a lot of fun. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. It's quite good. Uh, you know, it's good to see that that you know it's it's so much of it's uh, kind of focused on these uh, these stars that have become kind of uh, cinephiles uh, um, of obsessions. You know, that you have a Elliot Gould. I mean, that's definitely uh, he's definitely a cornerstone of seventies uh, cinema. You know, and they uh, showed Long Goodbye in thirty. 30- Five millimeter, which I was very excited to see. Superb. And then the next morning, they showed Mash, which I had to—I—I I, I couldn't go to because I had to go see some smell-o-vision. <laughs> but uh, you know, that was where my Elliot Gould stalking ended because I just couldn't pick Mash, even though I really like Mash over this event. 
that I couldn't see anywhere else. How was it going with the the father-in-law? What did he uh, pull you to anything, or were you basically uh, uh, making the the schedule? You know, we we basically have we basically have breakfast. We had breakfast every morning. This this is a routine. We have breakfast every morning. We compare what we're going to see each other at, and then we kind of try and get seats. Mm-hmm. It's it's impossible to plan because you don't know exactly when movies are getting out, when you're going to have to get in line. Right. Uh, so the way. You want to get in depth about the way the festival works. You get you get in your, you get in the queue to get a ticket to see the movie. A queue to get a ticket. You get you, right. So once you get that ticket, you can go do whatever. But Is you need it to be back. Though you, you need to be back in the queue before the line goes in. Roughly thirty minutes before the movie oh. starts. So what most people do is they'll run from their last feature to get in line for the next one. Mm-hmm. They'll get their number and then they'll get some food. You can bring anything into the theater. Oh, okay. So Baja Fresh is around, right around the corner. <laughs> so most people go get a Baja Fresh, pack it up, eat it on the way, yeah. eat it outside, or carry it in the theater. It doesn't really matter. Most people are are carrying food around. I, I mean, I carried a bag of popcorn around with me for two days inadvertently, but like <laughs> it's always there just for those snacks. Oh yeah. How, well, so uh, like, uh, go ahead, sir. I was just gonna say, so you get the, you get a ticket, and then you know you have you kind of you know run into people, and you can try and save seats, but it gets rather combative inside. Most, especially in the smaller theaters, the the one multiplex theater, Cinema uh, Multiplex Number Four, is a bit of a legend. It shows the discoveries and smaller films mm-hmm. that. Um, are highly popular at the at the festival, and there there can be some bloodbaths and hurt feelings over <laughs> getting in to multiplex number four. Well, that's my question. How often are you, you know, given that that setup? How often are you in danger of not making it into the movie because either there's too large a crowd or you didn't get there in time? How often is that like a, a real threat? It happens. I didn't get shut out of really anything this time around. There were there were things I purposely avoided because I knew it was going to be hard to get in. I look at the schedule for each day and I prioritize one or two events, movies or events, and you know you you make those happen. Last year. They showed Honor Majesty's Secret Service with George Lazenby wow. beforehand. So I was not going to miss that. Mm-hmm. So for the time slot beforehand, I picked a movie that let out earlier. So I knew that I could make it over and get in line and get a decent ticket, Q mm-hmm. number. It just so happened that, you know, the, the movie that got out a little bit earlier was Raiders of the Lost Ark and the El Capitan with the stunt man talking to Ben Mankiewicz beforehand. Nice. So you don't you don't lose when you plan around other things and sometimes you back into making the right choices whether you know it or not. For theater number 4, it, sometimes the best laid plans go awry. In this festival, uh there were some pre-code films that played at cinema at multiplex number four, that people got shut out of twice. Wow! Because they they show 
the popular films again on Sunday in TBD slots. Mm -hmm. So if there's a a massive demand for a certain movie, they'll run it again. Right. This year, Double Harness, uh, William Powell and um, Anne Harding, 1933. Uh, It's a decent movie, but it's not a monumental movie. Right. There was such a demand for that movie the first time they showed at this festival that only 40-some of the regular pass holders were able to get in because the way they, they fill it up is, like, you pay more money, you get priority tickets. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's, there's uh, like, spotlight pass members are get first dibs. Right. So the spotlight pass members fill, almost fill up the entire theater. I had number 39, and I got one of the last three seats in that screening people who like you you figure you're really safe when you have that kind of number right but people got shut out people and then will so will mckinley you know the the will mckinley mm-hmm. got shut out of that movie twice because he didn't he didn't even make it in the second screening he tried to go see what was the draw of it pre-code comedies play very well to this crowd just because it's you know it, it doesn't have to be uh, uh innuendo is a little more they, they love innuendo Oh, they, they love do in this. slightly more than innuendo. Okay. Like this crowd is raunchy, whether they want to believe it or not. <laughs> uh, they like their pre-code movies, <laughs> and they always show these smaller pre-code movies in in the small theater, and so it creates a demand. I think it's part of right. partially like it's an event to to see it right. with this crowd in particular, right. because they really appreciate it. And if you're going to watch a movie like that, it certainly helps to be in a room full of like-minded people who oh, are sure. really into it and really appreciate it. Like, like any movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh-huh. these movies in particular, I mean, how often do you get together with what, 200, 300 people who really want to watch a pre-code comedy, you right, know? Right, um, Well, so, every Saturday at the... Yeah, <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> You have your things, and, and, and I get coffee by myself on Saturday mornings. So there, there's this, I mean, it's a community of people that drives this demand. Yeah, definitely. Not that they wouldn't want to watch it normally, but the fact that you get to see it with these like-minded people is a definite draw. Right, right. A community thing. Well, yeah. let me ask you something. So the the general sense is if you're going to go see a movie, maybe people aren't aware of this, they haven't thought about it, but I mean, if you're going to go see a movie or make a double feature day in the current multiplexes that we have, you kind of go with this idea that you're going to have about 20 minutes of previews before the movie, so you kind of have this slip and slide about when your your the movie is going to start. You know the runtime of the movie. You kind of lock that together with twenty minutes of previews, and you kind of know how long you're going to be in the theater. And uh, if you wanted to see another movie, you kind of know when you when you'll get out. With these movies, however, at the festival, they're not running anything, are they? Are they running any sort of newsreels or cartoons or anything beforehand, or are they just showing the movies? Just the lead in. There, there's a. TCM leader that plays before every movie. That's it. There's been questions about whether they'll recreate a more traditional uh, theatrical experience with cartoons or trailers. And they, they said they would like to do that, but there's such a time crunch between movies that if you start playing that stuff, you're going to run over other things. Mm -hmm. And like, you're never going to sacrifice another movie for another Bugs Bunny cartoon. So that, you know, people want this experience, but 
it, practically it doesn't work. Right. So right before you went to this festival, you were posting something on your website that I think is kind of like, was it like uh, a wish list? Was it kind of like what you had hoped that this year was going to be? That was my plan. Like, we, you know, I said, you look at the schedule and you kind of plan how your day is going to go. Right. So, you know, you, you, I mean, you really do have to plan ahead of time. Like, oh, yeah. EDP, I mean, I joke about it, but you really do have to plan what you want to see. Right. Um, and that was my plan going into this festival, sort of my preview. By, by, you know, going through each day, I was able to plan it out for me and then offer anyone who happened upon my website to uh, a chance to see the opportunities that would be offered to them at the festival. It's a, it's a great resource. Um, and obviously for that and for your postmortem on, uh, your website, people should definitely go check it out. I mean, we're going to just touch on it a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, leading into this year, what were you most hyped to see? I, I was, well, originally it was Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> but Burt uh, had to drop out of the festival at the last minute, so he wasn't able to appear. Um, He's had some but uh, I, serious health issues in the past. Couple yeah, of years. I, I ass- nothing's been nothing's been stated publicly, but I assume it's it's a health issue that's kept that's kept him away from yeah. from the festival. And I, I'm I share kind of a like mind with Art in terms of Burt Reynolds' worship. And I, <laughs> it's, it's kind of that hyperbolic in terms of how much I, he's like, a, so, he's otherworldly to me. Like he's just something that I can't quite understand. Like Burt Reynolds in the 70s, oh, yeah. slightly before my time. And like I, I'm getting a sense of this through watching his films and reading about him. And then the, the Burt Reynolds that I knew growing up you know, eighties and nineties was a different shell. So when I went back, it's within the last five years or so that I really started to watch his six, his output from the sixties and seventies. And I became obsessed with Burt Reynolds. So I was most excited to see Burt Reynolds introduced the longest yard. That's when Burt dropped off. I did not go see longest yard because I've seen that quite a few times sure. now a- after it was in my cinema shame two years ago, <laughs> but moving on. So then it became about, Elliot Gould, because he he is another character that I, I consider larger than life. Oh yeah, act as an actor and this like mystical human. Mm-hmm. So I made up. I prioritized Elliot Gould. Um, Elliot Gould's conversation with Alec Baldwin, and then him introducing Long Goodbye, which is one of my favorite movies. I think it sits number fifty on my top one hundred list right now. So nice. like I wasn't going to miss that, especially to see it in thirty five millimeter. Where have you and posted I, well, that? What. Your top 100 list, or is that your private? Uh, it's, list? it's on Letterbox. I, I, it's available on Letterbox. Nice. There, there were a few I saw this year. They were actually in there. Uh, Shanghai Express. I got to see. There was a new restoration in Shanghai Express. That was it. Was a marvel. Nice. The the contrast was amazing. Um, I'm always excited that it, that in in a festival circuit when you're able to see something on the large screen because. Especially when they've done some sort of uh, restoration to these movies that were either lost or or damaged, and they found you know elements to kind of put it back together. Those are always exciting first watches. There are, and there's a there's a few of them this year. That's always a draw for the for the TCM Film Festival is that there there's a place for these movies to premiere outside of New York, like to be shown right. outside of New York. And I mean, it's in LA, but I mean, it's a gathering of people from all over the country that get yeah. to see these movies, not just somebody that lives down the block 
from MoMA, you know, like, right. um, there's another one, uh, an Argentine film noir, Los, Los Tayos Amargos, um, was thought lost and it was found in some basement or something in some estate in Argentina. And they, the, <clears throat> the, I can't remember the, the name of the, the again, the we're too far away. I've apparently blocked out names. <laughs> the, the guy who restored the film, it was like one of his Holy grails right. of film noir. And he, he learned of this, this man who found, who had the negative. So he had to go down there and woo him mm-hmm. to, to earn his trust, to do right by the, the print. Um, uh, one potato, two potato, which is a, a rarely seen movie was shown. Um, when you're in love, the Cary Grant, that his own daughter said she it was probably the only movie she hadn't seen. Well, that they showed that, and um, uh, there's 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 quite a few of those. And, and if you're a fan of these rare opportunities, I can't think of a better place to to see a handful of them at once than at the film festival. What was your best experience? Did any of them, you know, correlate with the ones that you were hyped to see? What was your best experiences uh, during the festival? Well, I said the, I mentioned the the holiday in Spain was just because of the the activity, and I had never seen the movie. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that it was Elliot, uh, Denham Elliot, and uh, Peter Laurie. I'm like, well, of course, I'm going to see it. Right, right. Um, the the one that impressed me the most was Bulldog Drummond Strikes Back. It's a um, you know the Bulldog Drummond series of films, and Bulldog Drummond is played by a number of different actors. And um, this one the, is kind the, of when was this series coming out? These this was the 30s. I mean, uh, 20s, 30s, and then there was a, a reprisal of the Bulldog Drummond character in the 60s. But he was he was an insurance salesman. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't quite the same. It was in the two the two films, uh, Deadlier Than the Male and um, the sequel. Um, Some girls do. Is that is that the name of the sequel? That sounds very familiar. But yeah, I've, I've heard of the first one. Yeah. Deadlier Than the Male is a great movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a it's a riff on the this whole spy genre. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's a it's a lot of fun, and if and if you have any interest in that '60s swing and spy situation that that I'm so fond of, definitely seek out Deadlier Than the Mail. I believe it's on uh, it's available on a um, US DVD, and I know there's a Region Two Blu-ray. Anyway, we need a sidetrack back on Bond. We don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> so, Bullet Drama Strikes Back was uh, was a lot of fun, and it's it's a movie that's not shown just because it's owned by three different companies right so clearing the rights is 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 a pain in the ass Mm -hmm. but uh to their credit uh tcm managed it to to show the screening i believe it's uh in is it a maybe a moma and fox and it's uh it's complicated he he tried to explain (laughs) try to explain why it was so difficult and i got lost in the gobbledygook but (laughs) um it's a movie that definitely deserves to be seen. It's it's a fun riff on the detective genre, and Ronald Coleman's a star. Loretta Young's in it. Um, Una Merkel, the the very talented supporting lady that that always draws a crowd at TCMF. If there if there's an Una Merkel movie, there's guaranteed people to be there, no matter how big her role is. 
that was probably my favorite film, like just straight film. I, I didn't even see it the first time. I was, I was. Uh, it was one of the TBDs on the last last day. Oh, nice! And uh, it was the only movie I could see the entirety of before running off to catch my flight. And as we know, you you definitely were saying that uh, you didn't get very much sleep through the whole thing. No, you you kind of take cat naps. You know, there's the midnight shows, which are always a gathering of hooligans. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're loopy. You're either you're dreary and woefully sleep deprived, or you're hyped up on so much caffeine that nothing's going to stop you. How, what kind of uh, movies were were uh, scheduled for midnight shows? Anything in particular? This, this year was Roar, the wow. the pinnacle of misguided filmmaking. I, I, I've <laughs> taken to call it. Um, it's uh, Tippi Hedren and Melanie Griffith, young, very young Melanie Griffith, mm-hmm, and uh, definitely. It's basically like a Jack Benny movie, except with really large, scary cats. The the um, promotional poster for the film was a list of all the crew members that were injured during the filming of the production. It's really just cats run amok all over this house, and they're just chasing Tippy Hedren and Millie Griffith and family all over the place. That's it for about uh, 100 minutes. <laughs> you know, it, I would like to say that it's more complicated than that, but it, it's, it's not. It's, so it's just, yeah. it's... It's insane that somebody thought this was a great idea to promote <laughs> conservation. Like that's the purpose of the film is to promote conservation. Actually, these animals are, you know, they're, they're not, they shouldn't be shot because they're so loving and, and very human. And it just backfires miserably. It's, it, the, it's such a sincere production and you just have to shake your head and go, I, I, don't, I don't know what. Sam, Have you seen it? Have you seen Roar? I, I, I've seen trailers and and parts of it. I haven't you, seen the then whole you thing. then you get the point. I mean, yeah. you get the movie. You don't need to see the whole hundred minutes. So that was the first. That was the first midnight screening. That that was good because there's just a lot of gasping and and, and giggling hysterically. With, didn't but, didn't Sam Fuller's white dog have a similar similar conversation <laughs> conservationist message? No, oh, I, don't, no I, don't I don't know. So. That, I, I, I don't know. I, it may be. I doubt you, it. You'll have to look into that later. Um, <laughs> what so about the sec- then the, well, then the second the second one was the tr- was the real treat. Uh, Roar was interesting, but you know it, that that's just head head scratcher. Mm-hmm. The second one was Gog, which was a three um, D movie from 1954 and they talked about the the pain in restoring the 3d movies from that era because there are oh two strips God. yeah uh-huh. there's a left strip and a right strip and if you don't have both strips you can't it's screwed yeah you can't restore the 3d These are the image. traditional red and blue 3d right. yeah so they they had they had a right strip and they didn't have a left strip finally they found one that needed to be that needed serious color correction and they restored it, and this was the product of the restoration. And you think about how many man hours and how much money you spend that's, restoring Gog. That's, that's the is, thing, yeah. Which is a marginal film, but as a midnight showing. <laughs> we took great liberties. Um, there were a whole roll of us. There, there usually is a, a general gathering of, of Twitter 
acquaintances and, and friends right. at these midnight screenings because that's the that's the one time we can all come together on one event. Sure. And we take up two rows, and I we we may have done some heckling. <laughs> good good natured heckling. I mean, they were flaming robot phalluses in three dimensions. There These are go. things that need to be pointed out. If it's I, pointing at you, it's got to be pointed out. It, well, it was kind of like first-person perspective <laughs> going. So it was kind of like your own flaming phallus. <laughs> so, you know, I can't help but say things. And <laughs> I was sitting next to Colleen, who is mid-parent on Twitter. She's mm-hmm. participated in bondage. Um, the the Twitter bondage James Bond not you know <laughs> just not not participating in bondage usually the like girl doesn't even swear on Twitter we can't <laughs> we can't associate these things with her anyway so you know we were sitting there and heckling the movie and the guy in front of us was a little perturbed I'm like what do you what do you, what do you want there's so many other seats go away um, <laughs> but you know these these are the times that the the Twitter like our Twitter community there gets together and has a lot of fun these 3D movies. Well, it, it I mean, seems the, the midnight shows. I mean, not three. It seems great that there, you know, all of these examples of things that were lovingly and and expensively restored. You know, these classic movies, and this just happens to be another offshoot of of kind of the thing that that TCM and and classic movies in general, classic movies organizations have come to be kind of this archiving and restoring thing that's so important, I think, you know, in, in a larger scheme of things when you're you're talking about these uh, film festivals just sh- giving giving you a place, giving you a venue to see movies that are hard to find or um you you hardly ever see them uh, especially on a, a large screen, but on top of that, the fact that they're you know maintaining and archiving these movies that uh, possibly were lost for a long time or could have lo- been lost forever. I mean, there's a large portion of uh, of film history that has uh, has gone the way of the dodo, and yeah. uh, we'll never know about it except for you know maybe some correspondence or something written in a bo- in a book. So. To see that, you know, it runs the gamut from movies that are lovingly put back together that that really do have some sort of uh, maybe artistic or or academic merit to them all the way to something that is, you know, entertainment and sheer spectacle like Mm -hmm. uh, like this is. And it's, you know, we we appreciate TCM for just for being a channel and being on and being there, but they're also driving a lot of these restoration projects through their efforts and through their ability to showcase right. these these projects. Like the, the Vitaphone shorts. And last year we had a presentation of hand crank silent movies. Wow. I mean the, these are these are things that I mean sure they get it they they'll find a niche audience. But nowhere else can this many people gather and see them. Absolutely. At least to my knowledge. I mean there may be some crazy like Midnight shenanigans down at the docks that I, I'm just not I'm not privy to because I don't run in that circle. <laughs> we all have these kind of very localized, especially if you're uh, from around particular city centers. They have these localized kind of like 
community revivals and art house theaters that do this thing. And, um, you know, it's good to, to have it all concentrated in a film festival. It is. Um, and you know, it's going to be done right. Yes. You know, or, or, you know, best intentions. Yes. Uh, I, I'm not always so sure that happens on a local level. You have True. people that are doing the best they can and they don't True. necessarily have the resources True. here. You know that it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be right. Yeah. And you have the elite of that, of that subsector, you know, you have the elite of that community overseeing it too. It's uh, it's TCM. It's probably the people, the, the money people, that uh, that put a lot of the resources into uh, restoring these movies and making sure they're seen. So, yeah, you're in you're in good hands. You're in safe hands. Let me ask you, what were what were your um your disappointments, if any? I I mean, it's it's hard to to kind of focus on on negativity when you're talking about something that is such a a positive event and experience and everything. But were there any disappointments? You know, it's it's hard to be negative about any one of the the presentations. You know, if I had to pick a movie that was the the least impressive i would say it was double harness but you know i got to see double harness in the first screening so i got bragging rights for the rest <laughs> of the i was like one of 40 classic passables that got in to see it so it's it it became like a, a thing sure and uh I, I, it became a talking I was like i was the guy that got on double harness what did you see um but it, when you're talking about with the the disappointments it's the things you didn't get to see right or you know times overlapped and you and you couldn't go see this because you saw this right that that's the only disappointment like i said i didn't get to see gina little brigida because i prioritized elliot gould sure you know? that guy uh that guy and like i saw <laughs> i made a point to see um anna karina before a band of outsiders instead of fighting the crowd to see <laughs> midnight which is probably my favorite romantic comedy of all time nice um, so these are the disappointments. Like it's, it's really hard to be sincerely disappointed. Have you been to LA outside of the TCM film festival? I've years? been to LA for press junkets. I've never, I've never gone as a tourist. So you never before. really had any, any time though, during this whole thing to, to sample any sort of touristy LA attractions or no, just, just around the immediate area. I mean, the, the Hollywood Boulevard oh, yeah. sector mm-hmm. is, is, you know, walk of fame is all there. So sure. I, I it, when I have time, I wandered the walk of fame a little bit, but you don't really have time. Like I got, I got an extended walk to get to the center Anabinome this time. And that was probably the most sightseeing I've done. Right. I walked through like a three block farmer's market that was pretty impressive in the middle of that farmer's market i saw a building that was a gay and lesbian retirement community and like i've never seen that before oh. i thought that was pretty i mean it's good for them right i mean they're not going to be around when president trump comes in but no you know, no good that, that that'll that'll be squashed um <laughs> but you know i've never had a chance to really tour la i still haven't because i you know i, I get localized too Whenever I go there, I'm, I'm, I'm shut off to the same right. block, basically. But right. uh, w- one of these days, maybe I'll go out early. I know there's a lot of people uh, before the TCM festival, they go Spend out early. Like a week or whatever there. They, uh, they, they do all the tours. I know the Warner Archive guys were offering up tours of the Warner Brothers studio, which wow. I was very sad to be able to miss because I have to fly in and fly out. Like I, I arrive like Thursday morning and leave Sunday night. So 
two years now you've done this, and of course, like I said before, you know, points you in the direction of, of Jay's website where he did a post-mortem and he, he talks so much about the festival. But what would you say for people that are planning on going next year or subsequent years? What what have you learned in your two years as far as, you know, planning and, and, and the whole the whole trip? Um, what kind of uh, tips would you give them? The, the biggest tip I, I can probably tell you is that if this is something that sounds like a great time, it is. And if, that, if it's something that appeals to you, you should plan ahead. It's worth it. You know, it, it's worth the effort to go. And the cost is, is not it, – it, it's substantial. I mean, the pass is relatively expensive. I mean, considering what, what, it, neighborhood, what neighborhood are we talking you about? You know, I the, – the, Seven hundred dollars kind of rings a bell, but I'd have to I'd have to double check and see what it was. There, there's different tiers, right. but you plus mean, travel they, and they go up. Plus travel, the mm-hmm. hotel is not cheap. The nothing, nothing about this is cheap. Sure, um, but it's a but treat yourself type of thing. It is. I mean, this is it's a commitment to to planning on it, to right. booking it, and just going with it. Um, you know, if not for my wife's purchase i probably wouldn't have prioritized it because it's like well it's you know it's always off it's expensive but you plan ahead as soon as it's announced you just make the commitment buy the ticket um because basically it's announced uh once the dates are announced you have to book the room right (laughs) otherwise it's going to be difficult a lot of people there are other but there are ways to make it cheaper a lot of people do airbnb Mm mm-hmm um, and find an apartment nearby. I know people, there, there's a lot of places to stay that are very close proximity to the center of the festival, which is just this two blocks radius around uh, right. Rosewood Hotel. Right. Um, I stayed at two different hotels <clears throat> um, right next door. There's a the Lowe's Hotel is connected to the multiplex where almost everything takes place and you can stumble out there out of your movie at 2 a.m and and you're in your room basically um but that that's my biggest advice is just to prioritize it how far ahead do you have to to do this because you say they don't uh uh announce the films to like two weeks beforehand right but how how far ahead do you so the the timeline if i remember correctly they announce they, at, least, at least the last time, my, my my brain might be failing, and I don't have a ton of experience for past events. But this last year it was the first year I really paid attention. Um, I believe the dates were announced in December, mm-hmm. early December, maybe. It, that's about the time frame. It's like four or five months in gotcha. advance. Gotcha. This is, yeah, and then not you don't know anything but the dates. At that point, so you you take a blind leap, <laughs> you book the hotel room. As soon as the dates are announced, they'll open it up so you can book the Roosevelt. And once the Roosevelt fills up, then you're on your own. There's overflow in, in another hotel too, but um, the Roosevelt is is the epicenter. So if you want to be right in the middle of it, that's where you stay. It's a historic hotel. That's that's awesome. Um, and then from there on, information will slowly slow, slowly leak out. Excuse me about um, the guest stars and the feature movies. The big premiere this year was all the President's Men, and you only get into that if you're uh, uh, get a press credential or you're a Spotlight Pass member. Gotcha. Um, last year it was Sound of Music. It does ring very much like the you know AFI festivals and mm-hmm. you know 
The, we have the the Silver Docs over here, the uh, the documentary film festival in in Silver Spring that AFI kind of oversees. But yeah, um, the difference between the, like the, it's just the scope. It is, yeah, yeah. The I breadth imagine. of offerings. You know, the the other film festivals are are, you know, they're purposefully more narrow. Right. Um, and this is just bigger. Right. You know the. I don't think anyone could go to this as a film fan and come away disappointed. Well, that's that's the thing, too, because, I mean, you're talking about a film festival that's so spotlight, so focused on a particular type of, of, uh, of cinephile, too. The attraction there is not going to be just a general mainstream audience. I'm sure you're going to get people of all age groups, but you're also going to get I- extremely uh, uh, focused um, subcategories of those groups going to these older movies, these classic movies. And people think that it's primarily an older audience, and that's really not the case at all. Right. I mean, it, it spans, I mean, everybody from... You know, there were, I mean, TCM has uh, guest programmers who are like 10 years old, like the, uh, and they were there, you know, taking in everything. And then there's, if you're people all the way up in their 80s who are going to these movies and wandering around, like it, it's, it's every demographic, every age group has something of interest here. It's like Disney. It's like Disney, <laughs> it's for- Disney World for old movie weirdos. <laughs> Well, it, it certainly is something that if you if you care about uh, uh, film history and if you care about you know uh, all these different types of of genres and types of movies that kind of like span like we've said you know uh, most of the twentieth century, um, it's definitely worth checking out. I'm very jealous. I think I'm gonna uh, if not next year, very soon. I'm gonna try to uh, go with you to one of these. Make, make an effort, man. It, it's worth it. You know the. The, the, we make a big deal about the movies and the movie offerings, and that is that is the primary goal. I mean, that's the reason we all go. But yeah. there's this secondary benefit in that we're we are very well acquainted with these people that we talk to daily, yeah. weekly, monthly on Twitter. Right. And there there's a large community of people who get together every year from TCM party. They do a yearly TCM photo, like it's tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I run into people daily that I've talked to on and off for years, and it's like, oh, you're you know so and so. Like right. you call each other by your handles. It's right. it's kind of bizarre. Like you, you know, yeah, yeah. you're 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 this person, and then you you know you you strike up a a, a common friendship. I mean, the, the, these are the people that. <laughs> that you found over the expanse of the internet, and they Absolutely. gather together uh, over common interests, and it, it's pretty phenomenal. It, it's it's uh, the connections that you make with these that you've had with these people, uh, and you don't even realize it because you think about the internet as this, you know, this impersonal right, right. underland of of nonsense, you know. Right. And it's, it's it's so distilled, though, you know. Yeah. Not the the community that that starts bonding, you know, each little element starts bonding together, you know, this person to this person, all of a sudden this, this community is so, so focused and, and, and hyper real, you know, especially these live tweet communities that we've got, you know, the, the TCM party. Um, and like I've, I said, I met, um, Colleen, uh, at, uh, last year's film festival, last year's TCM film festival and, and nitrate diva, Will McKinley, uh, all these, all these people that I've awesome. become pretty, 
you know, pretty good friends with. And, um, uh, it's, it's fun. You know, there, there's not a lot of time to socialize, but you end up, you're in line a lot of times. So it's kind of sure. happenstance, you know, sure. you, you end up in line next to somebody you've been talking to for years, right. you know, and you figure that out because you're following the TCMF feed nice. on your phone yeah. while you're staying there. Like, um, I remarked, I was sitting next to, uh, Casey, who's a noir girl on, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I was sitting next to her at the one potato, two potato, two potato screening. I had no, I had no idea. And like, I've talked to her. I even talked to her on Twitter last year. It's like, oh, I regret not ever getting a chance to meet you. And then, like one potato, two. There's a fire alarm right in the last three minutes of the movie. So there's this big impassioned speech. Um, the child is being taken away from the parent because she married a black man, right? Right. So the big monumental catharsis is happening here. The the kick in the stomach. Is happening. The fire alarm goes off. We go outside and like I'm scanning through Twitter and I realize she's staying next to me the whole time. You know? <laughs> so I turned to her at, after the movie and like, so I I just saw your tweet and like, sorry, I'm the you know, double seven of tremble and like, oh my goodness. Like it's weird the way that happens. And like yeah. I was in line for a Manchurian candidate, which was an enormous line, and I was just screwing around on Twitter and I, I met Kel Love, who was like five people ahead of me you know it's just you know these these odd run-ins and it's fun it's like a game who else can you meet today well yeah yeah. it's like uh you know how they have the it's set up that you can you know uh uh, get pinged on uh certain apps when you're close by to someone you know i think Waze did it and a couple other ones yeah that's and tcm embraces tcm embraces the social media like they have social media producers who who go there and and come up with little gimmicks and games to get people engaged and find them in lines and talk to them on twitter and in the roosevelt hotel they had a massive monitor that would that had icons for people who tweeted about with the tcmf hashtag and like they'd randomly post the tweets that they were that they were sending out um you know at any given time you could see your own little avatar on the board that's great well jay uh like i've said you know uh several times already definitely go over to jay's site which he's about to pimp because i'm gonna ask him to pimp his wares um yep. and and go uh read up on uh the 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 pre uh uh the 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 pre-prep for uh for the, prep the, and the post and the post the post uh post-mortem on it so jay uh where can people find you so all of that information can be found at 30hertzrumble.com. The pre and post are two of the most recent posts. That is my that is my AKA Twitter handle. That's like the real life shit that nobody wants to hear about Twitter Twitter account. And then there's also my 007 Hertz Rumble, which is more movie focused specifically. And then, you know, I'll pimp Bond because that's what I do. Sure. I run the James Bond social media project at the James Bond social media project.com. Oh, he got, he got very NPR there for a second. I've been working on my radio voice for the bondage pod. (laughs) And then we have the bondage pod, which your friend Greg's Academy is also a party to. He's been responsible for a few of those episodes as well. And a sponsor for one against my will. (laughs) Yes. We forced you to sponsor the Bondage Radio episode. And then we proceeded to mock you. (laughs) You did. With love. With love. But it was with love. It was nothing but love. For the 30 Hertz Rumble, also, uh, you know, don't uh, gloss over the fact that you do talk a, a lot about music. 
Yeah, it, it, it started out as a blog about music and specifically vinyl, and it, it's become movies and music that's not Bond. Right. It was also, I, as a writer, I, I vent occasionally about the writing process and the life of a writer in, in that the blog section, too. You can also find my old writing that I've had published on various websites and magazines there as well. So if you're in the mood for a short story about a guy who's obsessed with Rochambeau, that, that's where you should hit up. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously both of those handles at... Uh, on uh, on Twitter, and yes. uh, yeah, follow follow everything that he does. Uh, the live tweets you do them Wednesday, right? Wednesdays usually at nine, but if we have a special event like next week, which won't be next week when this airs, you'll see. Maybe, well, maybe. Well, next maybe. week, next week, if it's beforehand, we're doing a double feature of fluffy episodes. That means. Pierce Brosnan to the layman. We're doing a happy birthday, Pierce Brosnan episode of. Live tweet episode of Taffin and Taylor of Panama, two of his best anti Bond movies. Awesome. When did Taffin come out? 86. That far back? Ooh. 80, I think it's, it's mid 80s. It's very, I mean, you watch it's it's very mid 80s. Wow. It's pretty phenomenal. I don't know if you've seen Taffin, but it's, uh, it's about uh, Fluffy saying, Hell no, I'm not doing that. And you can't make me. <laughs> He's like a he's like a big like angry loafer in Taffin. It's great. <laughs> he just smokes and drinks and wears sunglasses. That sounds awesome. In, I- you- in Ireland, in Ireland. <laughs> Maybe you should have stuck with that a little longer, man. I would have gotten oh. with that. Taffin's great. This is after yeah, it's not great, great. It's after Remington Steel, right? It's in that little that that little area between uh, Remington and and Bond. I got to look up the timing now because you've got you. you You've got me needing information. Taffin is 88, so yeah. Yeah. That uh, late 80s, early 90s action universe. And the hair. Oh, my God. Is just, it amazing? No, if you're this, go, go Google Taffin <laughs> and just admire the hair, man. I mean, <laughs> nobody had hair like Pierce Brosnan in the 80s. Hell yeah. Nobody. Jay, thank you so much, man. It was good. I'm I'm really excited to uh, to take in the festival. I'm really excited that uh, that you got to experience it two years in a row. It sounds fantastic. It is. In the meantime, I'll just continue to send tweets out about it and make everyone jealous and <laughs> hate me and send nasty grams. It's fine. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, man. Have hundreds of people dying to abuse me. Sorry. What'd you say? I got hundreds of people dying to abuse me. <laughs> Felt like Ghostbusters was underrepresented in this episode. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Till one dream appears and love
Just 